0: Good morning. Good morning. I would be more grateful than you know if maybe a dozen of you would pray very specifically silently for me right now. And I invite all of you to open your Bibles and locate the New Testament book of Titus. Find chapter 3. Our text begins in verse 8 today and we'll go through the end of the chapter. You can find this passage in your Bibles if you open them to page 1000 and then back up one page. This is the final message in a series entitled, Plant Church, Repeat. And if you're able to do so, join me in standing in honor of the giver of these scriptures. I will be adding verses 1 and 2 from the chapter as words of introduction, as well as verses 8 through 15. Hear God's word. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenas the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help causes and cases of urgent need and not to be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. To God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have heard from your word. We have read the scriptures that you've provided and pro- protected for us through the millennia. Now we would ask in our need that you would provide for us understanding of the mind, the heart, and the will of our God concerning our lives today and life in the church of Jesus the Christ. Whom to know is life eternal. Thank you. Amen. You may be seated. I figured I'm wearing a peach colored tie. Ivory glasses didn't seem that much of a stretch. Some of you noticed. We reside in a beautiful portion of South Carolina, don't we? We're surrounded by rolling hills and vibrant rivers. We've got abundant wildlife, lush vegetation, and a most remarkable 57,000 acre lake with 600 miles of shoreline. And all of these things are just teeming with life. And yes, there is development too, traffic. But the reason that's happening is because people from the cold north and lots of other places, even south of us, are coming here agree with us that South Carolina is a beautiful blend of of beaches and of mountains and of the plains and the Piedmont it's a marvelous blend of a place to to work and to play and it's really quite affordable we live in a wonderful wonderful place and it's our home of choice at least it is for me now I want you to take the entire Midlands into mind when I ask you these three questions think of your own answers to these you do not have to say them out loud Whole Midlands. All right, question number one. How many grocery stores are within 20 miles of this building? How many gas stations are there? How many churches are there? Now, the answers to the first two are really quite problematic. Nobody really knows. Because... Stores and stations are being built and demolished every day, but I think it would be safe to say hundreds of each of them. Question number three is a lot easier to answer with precision. Hey, I'm a pastor. I know these things. How many churches are there in this region? One. Just one. I asked how many churches, not how many local congregations. And as followers of Christ who who love his word and, and rely upon his truth, we can be in agreement that there really is only one true living church, the new covenant church of Christ, the risen Savior. Here or anywhere, there is only one church. And our creed is very clear. One holy, apostolic Catholic Church. Catholic meaning everywhere. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Now we expect our grocery stores to sell us food and staples. We expect our gas stations to sell us petroleum and some services. That's why they're there. That's why they continue to stay in business. What do we expect of our local congregations? Our Are we fulfilling our purpose? Are we staying in business? Why do we exist? Now as you're keenly aware, I'm sure, not all the so-called houses of worship in this area or anywhere are really places where the risen Christ is worshipped according to the scriptures. And that... The gospel is central to life and salvation and where the Holy Spirit is relied upon and welcomed to challenge and to change people. And yes, of course, certainly we admit that no congregation is perfect, none of them. However, there are some Christian-sounding gatherings that are really perfectly imperfect. They may have had a, a past in which the the Bible was central and in informed life and godliness. and Sadly, a lot of the glory has departed. Some have no fragrance of the gospel wafting through them anymore. No faith in Jesus being called out. No newness of life in the spirit. You, you know some of the places I'm speaking about. And even more disappointingly, there are churchy-sounding organizations that don't even have a past of trusting in these things. Satan has counterfeited the real thing from the very beginning. Like in Titus' time, like in our own. Thankfully, because God's word does not change, ever, we can rely upon the scriptures to inform us about life in Christ and in his church, regardless of which congregation we call home. Now, many, if not most of you sitting here today And a lot of you who are visiting us via the live stream do, in fact, call St. Andrew's Presbyterian your home congregation. Well, good for you. What do you desire SAPC to excel at? How do you pray that this local body will be known in this community? And who are you willing to become in order that this congregation increasingly reflect the love of Jesus to the community around us. As someone who has observed this gathered family of families over these last few weeks, and thank you for that privilege by the way, I offer a a simple challenge and a sober caution. Actually, I I offer this to every congregation in every season, no matter what the consequences or circumstances are. So when you quote me on this, please know that I mean this and I pursue this. Repent and believe the gospel in unity. Repent and believe the gospel in unity. Right here from the book of Titus, at the conclusion of chapter 3, we have a New Testament guidebook to life in oneness, in Christ, in our generation. First of all, godly unity, what it isn't. Godly unity, what it is. And godly unity, what a blessing. Godly unity, what it isn't, that's... That's a congregation at odds. Godly unity, disunity was at odds. Unity is a church at one. And every congregation that is on mission is a real blessing. First of all then, godly unity, what it isn't. It's important to realize right away that what God is calling for us to be as a people, especially when we gather together, is not uniformity. Clearly not that. The scriptures of the Old and New Testaments do, in fact, require a very high degree of of unity in things like understanding scripture, devotion to the true doctrine, in our families, in our congregations. But there is no call for God's children to be all the same in other things. I mean, look at how he created us. We're all pretty different. And look further and you'll see more difference. Uniformity is achieved when all the members of any group think, act, appear, and speak as one. We tend to think of them as being cult like, because that is an activity that the cults will enter into. They strip away the, the personal and individual opinions and privileges in order that there might be one group think, group speak. Well, our Heavenly Father is not at all impressed with false piety and never calls us ever requires all of his children to act, to think to speak, to vote or to dress exactly the same as everyone else after all he invented diversity and variety but human beings however are pretty quick to draw lines of distinction instead of circles of inclusion we tend to think that our opinions and preferences are correct and so we have the expectation that other people will agree with us How's that working for you? Here's a sage advice offered to us by an ancient church father of the fourth Christian century to guide our thoughts regarding unity in Christ. St. Augustine of Hippo condensed into very few and insightful words the whole of our calling to resemble Christ in our secular and in our sacred relationships. Here it is. This should sound familiar. In the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. Charity equals love. That's the point. Every single time we pursue Christ-likeness following these very guidelines, the many potential controversies and squabbles And difficulties and enmities between us, the ones that Satan really hopes will divide us, they all fail. Every time. And when we do see divisions among people who gather, who congregate in order to worship or to minister, when we see divisions in those people, we know that this wise advice is being ignored. Or perhaps even worse, rebelled against on purpose. Some of you can recall an individual who seemed absolutely driven to inject enmity into a congregation you were a part of. You remember how that felt. Your heart may still have scars on it to this day. I trust you've walked through the process of forgiveness, but I know there's a memory of the wound. Persons who incite the divisiveness that's spoken of in verses 9 and 10 are to be disciplined gently and in person to the end that they will actually repent of their sinful and warped ways. That's what the scripture says. And they put those behaviors beside. But if they persist, a second more stern warning is called for. And if then there is no repentance, obvious. Then the Lord Jesus tells his congregations to sanction those individuals by separating them from the flock. The leaven of bitterness and contention spreads so quickly and far too easily that it cannot be ignored. Christ's church is neither demonstrated nor celebrated by schism and strife, ever. The very definition of unity actually rules those out. But the peace and purity of the church of Jesus is always at stake. Over the past several decades, a, uh, I'd say curious, but predictable phenomenon has emerged in the United States. And it's repeatedly uh, presented to us in the various media. The notion has been popularized that many Americans dread the annual gatherings of family around Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving due to the animosity and discord that easily erupts into heated arguments, wounded feelings, and apparently even food fights. (laughs) Movies and TV shows make this a central theme in order to garner laughter. Think about that. Portraying tragedy as comedy, presenting brokenness As a prop for humor. How abundantly sad. And why do producers and directors create such programs for us? Probably because they succeed. They make money. Because modern audiences have been conditioned to expect and then even celebrate other people's dysfunction. Well, that brokenness or causing that brokenness in a family has no place in the life of the church of Jesus the Christ ever. Rather, the voice of wisdom would say, now, do your best, repent, and believe the gospel in unity. Gospel unity, what it is, in the quiet of my study these past few days, I, I let my mind wander, and that, that's not an unusual circumstance, but in this particular season, I let it wander to a place where I actually tried to imagine hearing the voice of the Apostle Paul as he was speaking to Titus, the young church organizer there on that Mediterranean island a long time ago. I, I heard the seasoned mentor speaking with compassion and power to his younger friend and his fo- protege heard, in my hearing, phrases of both challenge and, and caution. Now I'm going to read some of the words we've already read, but I'm going to add a flourish or two of my own and then finish with a marvelous and familiar quote, a biblical quote from other Pauline literature. Titus, my gifted friend, lead the congregations by example. And train them to be careful to do good works. Lead them in order that they may learn to devote themselves to good works. And thereby not be unfruitful. Titus, my true son in the faith. Declare the same admonition to your Cretan congregations as those received by the Ephesian congregations. And here is Ephesians 6, portions of it. that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. That's a 10 when it comes to profound. That was for Ephesus. It's for us. In addition to the lifestyle of of courtesy and obedience and humility, which is stipulated right here in the beginning of this chapter in our very text, here we include now, and Titus was to be aware, I think, of walking in gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, the kindness, the tenderheartedness, and the forgiveness that are hallmarks of our gatherings. These attitudes and choices comprise the worthy walk of a follower of Christ. Always. And that said, it's easy for me to state the obvious. Living together in unity is the normal Christian life. Don't you think? That's what God says. Is it our normal? Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, divisions, they are not part of the worthy walk of the followers of Christ. Do you cherish God's affirmation? Well, there it is. Do your best. Repent. And believe the gospel in unity. And this godly unity, what what a blessing it is. Oh my. Several of you have told me that it's been easy for you in your reading of the scripture throughout the years to kind of skip over this itty bitty book. And you've been surprised by how doctrinally meaty and deep it is. And I know what you mean. I was impressed with it the first time I didn't skip over it and actually read it. In just three short chapters of only 46 verses altogether, it's given opportunity for me to speak for about three hours to you over these last weeks. (laughs) And I hope it's given you additional hours of contemplation, considering what the Spirit has for you in this ancient but modern message. The Apostle Paul communicated such deep truth. A long time ago, to some unworthy people, some unfit people on that Mediterranean island, a long time ago. In these recent weeks, he has communicated the same message to some other unfit people right here. They responded in faith and changed their world. I'm absolutely convinced God expects the same of us today. Are we ready? Are we willing? Are we... We live about a two-hour drive from the beach, the mountains, Charlotte, and suburban Atlanta. And that's all really very convenient, isn't it? We also all live about a two-minute walk from our neighbors. I don't even have to say it out loud, do I? I think we do well to view our earthly season together. This fellowship that we share with one another as being our green room for heaven. You know what a green room is, right? A green room is that place where people go to to rest and, and relax and prepare just before taking a stage. Well, we are preparing, but we are not yet on the center stage of eternity. People, this is not the main event. That's coming. But while we are here, though, and since the world really is watching, I think repentance, faith, and unity are to be our hallmarks. Since there really is only one true church in this community, after all, and we who are members by the blood of Christ have a very high calling, a great commandment, to glorify God in our lives and bring peace to his church. That's just true. We're to love one another. And you never know. It's possible that our affection for each other, our public demonstrations of oneness might be the very spotlight that's required for some folks to be able to see the one true pathway to heaven. Maybe Because of the way we love one another, someone will be willing to listen when we speak about the remedy to sin and death, which we have ourselves received in Christ. You just never know. But that will fulfill our purpose. That will plant and replant the church here every week. And that's better than groceries and gasoline. What a blessing to be a part of God's plan for the ages and experience such soul-satisfying oneness with others. Pastor Mark set the table for this discussion of unity today weeks ago when he told us the way forward for this congregation and every congregation is letting God be God, trusting him and us bearing our own responsibility to love and to nurture one another. Well, amen. Thank you. The Apostle Paul concluded with instructions regarding Timothy's next activity when when either Artemis or Tychicus was going to come and, and deliver this letter, which we're reading today. Before departing the island, though, to engage in some other ministries when replacements did come for him, Titus was to preach this very message to the congregations on Crete. And, by example, to train them in something very specific. Hospitality. It says, you are to do your best. He says, train them that they might together do their best by equipping Zenos and Apollos with everything necessary for them to continue their missions. That's the definition of hospitality. Meeting and receiving someone where they are and providing for them to get to where they're going. By God's grace, we are we're part of the plan for moving the gospel forward through other people who will reach places and people we will not. That's a marvelous privilege. And I suspect those congregations did so a long time ago. We'll know better when we're together in paradise. Later, Titus was to be off to spend the winter with Paul in a place called Nicopolis, which is translated Victory City. I love that. Victory City. And there they would probably... Rest, but also then strategize about how may we be a part of extending this great good news to the very limits, to the ends of the empire. That's probably what they were doing. And these final words from Paul to Titus mark the conclusion of this very memorable book. They're words of blessing and they likely gave Titus some new courage to walk in faith and strength as he concluded that season of ministry There looking forward to the calling that was ahead. These, however, are not the final words spoken between these two men, because the book of Galatians and the book of 2 Corinthians make that really plain. But these are the last ones we know that Paul specifically told Titus in that place. And it makes me wonder and reflect. Last words. You know them when you hear them. And when you hear them, You never forget them. Have you been present to hear the last words someone spoke as they were suspended between two worlds when their voice was quieted here for the last time? Have you had a conversation with someone that seemed absolutely normal and familiar only later to learn that you would never speak with them again? If you have, you certainly can replay that experience instantly in your mind. Some of you are doing it right now. So am I. Last words and dying declarations are, are more significant than other utterances. There's a, a sincerity and a gravity to these that other conversations just don't possess. They're far beyond routine. And those of us who have said goodbye to family and to friends consider our final interactions to be precious and intimate, even sacred. We just don't forget them. And we never, ever know when we may right then be involved in what will be our final conversation with someone this side of paradise. Are there... Words you need to say in order to reconcile with someone? Is there someone you seek to avoid? If you're not happy with what you said or how you said it to the people who are still with you, take courage. There's still time for your better words. Don't avoid people. Are there words you need to say to reconcile with a, a member of your family? a neighbor, a friend, someone 50 feet away in this congregation. Don't be afraid to do the right thing. Five minutes from now and 100 years from now, the words you don't say will mean nothing, have no impact on anyone at all. But the potential for the words you do choose to say now may very well change your life and the person who hears them. Maybe forever. I wish I could say something more to my dad. He died when I was 19. I don't remember our last conversation, but I fear it may not have been a very good one. I just don't know. But he had reason to be disappointed. But I cherish beyond measure two conversations I've had at a deathbed. My own mother and her mother before her by many years. I will never, ever forget them, ever. They are holy to me. And I remember the final exchange between me and my friend Peter, just a few blocks from this building. It was exactly this. I love you, Pete. I love you too, Kim and I walked out the door and a few days later Peter walked into the presence of the Savior I'll never forget that open your heart people may your memories be as sweet in the years to come as some of mine are repent and believe the gospel in unity open your heart and speak words of life to someone and do it soon you just don't know as we come to the end of this series and especially this message today, I will agree with you. There's been very little humor infused and that was intentional. This passage and therefore the message from it is serious and I think timely and I think it's about Christians thinking about and responding to the joys and the responsibilities of membership in the church of Jesus Christ today, now and as our membership Doesn't expire. We're to glorify God now and forever. Let's do it. May these final words of mine today bring honor and glory to the Lord. But even way more important than that, the final words of this book of Titus are those of blessing from God through Paul and all the people that were with him where he was ministering to Titus and to the churches on Crete. And it was a blessing. What a wonderful salutation is this. Greetings from all to all. Grace be yours. Can you hear it? When I listen, I can almost hear the sound of that elder churchman speaking to his apprentice. Now, do your best. Repent. Believe the gospel in unity. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you've provided for us life and breath. You give us food and drink. You give us fellowship. You have provided for us to understand what love is by surrounding us with people who have absolutely sacrificed in our behalf. Thank you for the freedom we have to celebrate the goodness that you've provided. Lord, we adore you for having done this. You are the one who created all things. You are the provider, sustainer, and savior. And unto you is due all glory and honor from all of creation forever. We confess our unworthiness even to hear a message like this. We confess that we are those sinful people who have warped minds, twisted as the scripture says. Sometimes we are attracted to the words and the temptation of Satan. Oh God, may it never be that we willingly again walk into foolish, human, prideful sin and therefore destroy the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace here and everywhere. Father, thank you for providing for us not just a way of escape from punishment for our sins, which they justly deserve, But for giving us a taste of what heaven will be like. For providing for us scripture that reveals what will be. For providing for us a community that provides that soul satisfying oneness that others just don't know. And so we make our prayer today this morning. That some who hear outward, physical, my words. Would be now receptive to your words which never fail. They would humbly submit themselves to you, maybe for the very first time, but that everyone hearing my words would pause and rejoice and be glad that you have taken away the scourge of our punishment. You've taken away the guilt of our sin. Thank you for leaving us shame that we remember not to pursue it again. Lord, may this congregation repent and believe the gospel in unity and in peace In the days ahead. For your glory. For the blessing of each one of your children. And for the building of the church of Jesus Christ. Whom to know is life eternal. Amen.